beginning in verse 1. Uh, Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. We're in this series entitled, Four Pillars of Positive Change. These are four pillars upon which we can build our future together. And we will thrive as we build these into our lives as a regular practice. Now, the main pillar of positive change, as we said two weeks ago, is weekly attendance and participation in the worship gathering. And if you weren't here two weeks ago, I would really appreciate it if you'd go to our website and listen to that sermon. When we regularly come together on Sundays and when we frequently participate in ministries, God welds us together as one. And that's when we make Jesus unmissable in Leavenworth County. We're better together. So that's the main pillar. Last week, we also said we want to create a culture of invitation to make it normal for you to invite someone to join you here on Sundays and on Wednesday nights. Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men. He didn't say you'll make yourself one. He said, I will make you fishers of men. So believe his word. And these two pillars are important because some people come to Jesus through the public preaching of God's word. Some come through personal witness. But the vast majority, whether as a child or as an adult, come to Jesus through a combination of the two. And a good way to become a fisher of men is by an invitation to church. It's a great starting point. Today is the third pillar of positive change, and we want to call that a culture of restoration, to gently yet vigorously seek to restore people who have fallen away. Now, this ties into the main pillar of attendance and participation because we want to bring people back to the fellowship of the saints. That's important for them. But it's important for our future. In normal circumstances, the attrition rate of an average church in America is 13% a year. That is, 13% move, they pass away, they go to another church, or they stop going to church. So just to stay even, a church has to gain 14.9% of people a year. I guess I could be the .9, but those are the statistics. And because attendance and participation are so erratic, we want to make sure that no one falls through the cracks. And as a staff, if we're always reaching backward, it's very difficult to move forward. So we discussed administrative solutions on how to tackle this, but then I realized this is God's way of dealing with this. This is what he tells us to do in Scripture. He calls on every one of us to check on people who have fallen away, to restore them from sin, to bring them back to church, and therefore, a walk with Jesus. And so I hope you see this morning what a glorious ministry this really is. So let's read just this one verse, Galatians chapter 6, as we consider this subject, creating a culture of restoration. The Apostle Paul wrote, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual... Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you will not be tempted. So number one, a culture of restoration. I want you to see why it's important. Now, I preached from this passage just two years ago, so forgive me. I'm going to use the same illustration that I used then. You may remember it. When I was in my 30s, we played floor hockey in a basically what was an abandoned school gym. And the gym had a smooth concrete floor and concrete block walls. It was a perfect place to play. 
So one evening we're playing, and I went down to block a shot, but the stick of the shooter's follow-through smacked me on the jaw. Well, I popped up to join the play, but everyone else had stopped. You okay? I said, yeah, I'm fine. A highway patrolman we were playing with, he dropped his, sticks and his uh, stick and gloves, and he came over, and he took, my, took me by the arms, and he said, now look at me, you're not all right. I said, yeah, I'm fine. He said, no, you're not. Now I want you to look at me, and I want you to listen to me. Come over here to the side, and let's take off some of your equipment. And I thought, okay, well, whatever, I'll do it. Then he had me go outside with him. He put me in the front seat of my car and adjusted the rearview mirror so I could see myself. And he said, now look, you're not all right. Well, my chin was laid open about here. I had blood all over me. That stick to the face just kind of knocked me silly for a few minutes. I am over that, but it, <laughs> it, just, it just diffusing any comments. I really thought I was fine. I didn't feel any pain for about an hour and a half, and then when it came, it came. And I just needed a few stitches, and all was well. But I needed someone to come to me and gently but clearly say, you're not all right, but direct me to the way to become right. So notice, this is an instruction given to us. Look at verse 1. Paul says, brethren. That's a term of endearment. He's appealing to these Galatian churches as blood-bought family members. And he's saying, as a church, you have a family responsibility to be involved in this work of restoration. So it's an instruction given to us, but it's a privilege given to you. You'll notice this doesn't tell the pastors to do it. you notice it doesn't tell the pastors not to do it. We do it. Because we're church members just like you. We do it because we're shepherds. But I want you to see this is a privilege given to you. Almost everyone here knows of someone who has dropped off. Haven't seen them in a while. So what will happen is someone will come to me and say, Pastor, have you seen so-and-so lately? Or they say, Pastor, did you know that so-and-so? And then they tell me the circumstances of the person who's fallen away. And then sometimes they say, have you checked on them? Or will you check on them? Well, we can do that. But let me ask you a question. Why do you think you notice that person is missing? Why do you think God put that person on your heart? Why do you think God brought that person to your attention? It's because you're the one God's speaking to. You're the one God's calling to go. As Keith Green sung years ago, God's calling and you're the one. And that is a blessing. It means the third person of the Trinity is prompting you to join Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the work of restoring someone to their walk with the risen Lord Jesus. God wants to use you. Every member is a minister. So that's why it's important. Number two, why is it necessary? Well, look again at verse 1. It says, if anyone is caught in a trespass. So here's a person caught up in sin. They need a brother or sister who will get them in the driver's seat, adjust the rearview mirror, show them the damage, and say, let's get you fixed up. 
Now that phrase, caught in a trespass, it's used in two different ways in Scripture. It can refer to someone who's in a gradual decline. Temptation has a way of just catching us off guard. And we can lapse into a way of life that is sin or a state of decline that is so bad we don't even realize what's happened to us. Christian love makes an effort to restore that person. I always want to be part of a church that would attempt to reel me in if I begin to drift away. So this phrase can mean a person in gradual decline, but it can also refer to a person who has a sudden fall. A person can have a weakness in his or her life, we all do, and then temptation comes along and with almost no warning it just snaps shut a trap and then there's a sudden fall and friends that can happen to any of us it happened to david he fell into adultery peter denied the lord jesus even though he swore he would never do that so each of us can be prone to a gradual decline or a sudden fall so that leads us to number three who can restore this is where we get hung up look again in verse one the Holy Spirit says restoration is to be done by the one who is spiritual. To designate oneself as spiritual may sound a bit prideful, but a spiritual person is not a perfect person. It's a person walking with Jesus, being filled with the Spirit. In fact, let's define this in context. If we go back one chapter in Galatians, we see the fruits of the Spirit. So this would be a person who bears the fruit of the Spirit. That's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Verse 24 of that chapter said, This is a person who has crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And another mark of a spiritual person is one who is willing to do the work of restoration. The problem is we're afraid of an adverse response if we do it. We even go so far as to tell lies to our friends who fall away. It's okay. No, it's not. One writer said we want our friendships to be fun and friction-free. But that word restore, it refers to the mending of a broken bone. No friend would let a friend lay by the side of the road with a broken bone. I think a superpower in today's culture is not being afraid of the opinion of man. So that leads us to the fourth thing, how do we do it? And just simply reach out to them. You can have a, reach, out to, uh, reach out for a conversation. You may notice someone who's been missing in your adult Bible fellowship class or in the worship service. Text them and tell them you missed them. People want to feel needed. Well, you are needed. Everyone is needed. But we want to feel needed. So you can start by sending a text, making a call, stopping by their house, it may take several visits, email, prayers, and patience, but it's an important ministry. And let's be really honest. When you attempt to restore someone, there are times you find out that persons are very defiant about their sin. They will insist they haven't sinned, they're not sinning, and they do not intend to change. Some of those people are lost church members, eternally deceived. Now, that's a different sermon for a different day. But there are so many other times that when you attempt to restore someone, you find that it's not a hard-hearted, angry response. 
so often you find out that there's a story behind the story. So look again at verse 1. We restore people gently. Paul called it a spirit of gentleness. Now, why would gentleness be an important trait? Well, have you ever noticed that gentle people are approachable? You feel like you can trust them, that they're ready to listen to you? Gentleness is middle ground between being overbearing and being shy. An overbearing person leans in too hard, doesn't even give a person room to repent. You just need to get right with the Lord and you need to do it now. And a person is going to lean back from that kind of a response and they won't share their story with you. But a shy person won't lean in at all. Their greatest fear in life is that they might upset someone so they don't reach out at all, and that person is never restored. A gentle person finds middle ground, and that's when you can relate to people and relate to their problems, and that's when you often find a story behind the story. It doesn't justify their sin, but it helps you understand how they ended up where they are. Oftentimes, people will fall away because of some kind of fear or a tragedy. It can be a struggle with anxiety, a loss of hope, a sense of worthlessness, mistreatment by other people, false guilt or real guilt, false shame or real shame. Some people fall away over false shame because their marriage is falling apart or they have a child in turmoil, or they're in financial difficulty. It's very sad to see over the years that sometimes when a person struggles, instead of being transparent and humble and saying, look, I've got this in my life, I need some help from the brothers and sisters, they hide from the church lest anyone find out their struggles. But we all have struggles, and that's why we need each other. So a person who's fallen away needs a gentle but a vigorous hand of restoration. Let me give you a hypothetical that is actually a composite of several stories. Excuse me, we're going to time out here. All right, let's see if I can get this right now. Let me give you a hypothetical that is actually a composite of several stories that I've heard over the years. And forgive me because I used this two years ago also, but this is 100% true. And again, this is a composite. This is not speaking of any one person. This is about 10 stories combined into one. You learn that a young lady in the church who professes Christ moves in with her boyfriend. Now, folks, that's adultery. No matter how much our culture has normalized it, and no matter how much the church has turned a blind eye to it, it's still sin. Adulterers and fornicators, God will judge. So that lady needs someone who will love her enough to attempt to restore her. But when you have the conversation with her, you find out she was living with her parents, but she was being abused there more than once maybe verbally, maybe physically, maybe even sexually. She had no means to rent or buy a place. She'd been occasionally dating a guy who wasn't a Christian, mostly just to stay away from home, and he asked her to move in. Well, she didn't really want to do it, 
but she couldn't stay where she was, so she felt like that was the best solution at the time. Friends, that's not a far-fetched story. Now, she needs to repent, but she also needs a solution because she can't go back to her parents' home. And then as you talk to her further, you find out she believes in Jesus, but because of her adverse circumstances and everything that's been happening in her life, she's even beginning to wonder if there's a God. You have an opportunity to restore a precious soul. And this is where verse 2 comes into play. Look at it if you would. It says, bear one another's burdens. That word burden means a heavy weight or stone that someone's carrying for a long distance. That woman needs a solution, but she needs some practical help. And if you're able to go the extra mile to provide that, keep reading in verse 2. It says you're fulfilling the law of Christ. Well, what's the law of Christ? Jesus summarized the law in two commandments with two different directions. The vertical direction, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the horizontal direction, love your neighbor as yourself. That's real ministry, folks. So we restore gently, but we also restore humbly. Verse 1 says we conduct this ministry looking to yourself so that you will not be tempted. They fell. You can fall too. You can fall in the same area. Paul said, take heed lest you fall. And as we go to restore someone, we have to remember this. God hates pride. He doesn't look down on it. He doesn't have a problem with it. He hates pride. So we realize that sin has overtaken a person. Make sure you haven't been overtaken by sin as well. Let me give you an example. Many today struggle with pornography. Now, that's not a good thing. And if you find out someone is struggling with pornography, you try to help restore them. But make sure as you try to help them that you're not greedy or angry or bitter. Different sin, different category. Sins of the disposition are just as evil as sins of the flesh. So with great humility we try to restore people this isn't judgmentalism folks if you see someone in a sin you want to restore them but we do it humbly now if you do this I'm, I'm going to discourage you some more here <laughs> many people will frustrate you they'll recycle old or ancient excuses they will justify the unjustifiable they will blame their sin on someone else we have to stay humble as we hear that because you can't respond adversely to them but also understand you're going to lose many of these battles I'm just trying to be realistic with you there used to be a man who would call me often to eat lunch and we'd come here and and he'd love to pick my brain spiritually well, after several lunches, one day I said, where do you go to church? And he told me where he was a member. And I smiled and laughed. I said, man, that's not what I asked you. And he laughed, and he said he didn't go to church. Now, he wasn't a member here. I'm not talking about anyone here. As members in the same church, we have a higher responsibility for one another. But he was still a believer who needed to be restored. So as gently as I knew how, I said, you know, a believer can't walk with Jesus 
without being involved in a local church. And I said, is it okay if I show you that in the Bible? I don't want you to just take my word for that or uh, that sounds like preacher talk. I want to show you the verses. And he said, well, sure. His mouth said yes, but his body said no. But I wheeled my way around to his side of the table, and I spent probably five minutes. We flipped through his Bible, and I showed him some verses. And he thanked me very much, and he never called me again. So this can be a frustrating ministry. But Ephesians 4.2 says, be completely humble and gentle. Same two words. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. When you seek to restore a person, you'll often find that they have fallen into the, a sin that fits into one of two categories. And the first one is pleasure and pursuits. And this is the hardest one to pull away people from. Pleasures and pursuits. They've been seduced by and won by the world and the flesh. And that's what's in the driver's seat of their life. Once you fall in love with the world, it's very difficult to divorce the world. Some people are on the same path as a man named Demas in 2 Timothy. Paul said Demas loved this present world and deserted him. And John said if any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So we can't turn a blind eye to that. Humility is recognizing that the same thing could happen to us. So with that motivation, you go to that person to correct, rebuke, and warn. It could be their eternal soul is in danger. Now, that's pleasures and pursuits, but you also find people sometimes fall away because of pain and problems. And friend, problems are so difficult that they can almost overwhelm a person. We have, on Wednesday nights, we take prayer requests, and we have some people who go to a, a, another church, and, and that's great. We're glad they do that, and they participate here. And one of the prayer requests was, this just floors me, a husband and wife got divorced. They had one kid, and then the wife got a terrible form of cancer. She wasn't going to make it. Prayers for her, prayers for the child, and then the ex-husband got cancer, and he's having trouble. The woman passed away this week. Who knows what's going to happen to the dad? What's going to happen to that kid? Now, that's just a story of how problems can just explode into a person's life and overwhelm them. Humility is recognizing that pain and problems could devastate you too. And with that motivation, you go to that person to try to comfort, exhort, and encourage. It seems to me that God has a three-tiered warning system to wake people from their sins. The first is the gentle voice of the Holy Spirit in your conscience. The problem is that sin hardens the conscience. So that person hears that voice, but that voice is silenced because the mind is set on the flesh, not the spirit. So then God sets off a second alarm. It's this passage. It's you and I. 
He sends one who is spiritual to restore that person, to speak the truth to one who is straying. And we see this in, in, in the Bible. I was going to give you several examples, but time would really, it would take too long. But for example, Nathan went to David, and what did he say? You're the man. Samuel to Saul, what is the bleeding of sheep that I hear? Seeking to restore a person is a great act of Christian love. It's the mercy of God flowing through you. Because ignore the third alarm sounds. And that could be disaster striking. It could be God's chastening hand in this life to someone who is his. Or it could be an eternity in hell for those who have presumed on him and are not his. And we won't find that out until we seek to restore a person. So this morning, I hope that this is a subject, this third pillar, I hope it's something God embeds in our hearts, that we're not afraid to reach out, that we create this culture of restoration. It's needed more in my lifetime than, than I can ever remember, and here's why. There are more and more people who fall away. Imagine this, just, just imagine what God could do here. If everyone in this area who professed Jesus was actively involved in a Bible preaching church. Can you imagine how strong those churches would be? Think of the souls that would be saved, the lives that would be changed, and the blessings would flow if people were restored to Jesus and the local church. Our churches would be spiritually vibrant. They would be full. And families, generations of people, even unborn generations would be blessed. So this is an important ministry. And perhaps this morning, the issue for you isn't restoration. I mean, you're here and that's great, but maybe it's not restoration. Maybe the issue for you this morning is salvation. The Bible says God desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. But you have a free will. You can resist his call to you. The Bible says the Pharisees resisted God's purpose for them. Jesus told the parable of a king who sent servants to a wedding feast, and the people who, who were invited to come, they refused. The people of Jerusalem were unwilling to come to Jesus. So if you've never been saved this morning, don't resist that call. Give up on hoping your sins are forgiven. Give up on trying to have your sins forgiven, and give up on believing that you have no sins to be forgiven. I want to encourage you to believe Jesus Christ by faith for the forgiveness of your sins. The Bible says if you confess Jesus as Lord, which means he is your ruler, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Being a Christian is the best way to live, and it's the only way to die, folks. So if you've reached that point of belief today, or if you have questions about it, Nathan or Kirk or myself we would genuinely love to have that conversation with you. You can talk to us afterward. You can complete that card and say, I'd like to talk to someone about salvation. Put it in the basket at the back of the worship center. This is why Jesus died, so your sins can be forgiven. 